From the Western Riverside Council of Governments, I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CogCast. As the world begins to look forward to reopening after COVID-19, what are the practical implications and lessons learned from these new experiences? And how will COVID-19 shape planning and other city management practices? On today's episode of the CogCast, we sit down with Dr. Brian Nakamura, Assistant Professor at the Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M University, who also served as the city manager for various California cities, as he shares his take on what the future holds and how cities can optimize current opportunities for a better future. So Brian, thank you so much for being here with us today. Can you start us off by sharing about your connection to Western Riverside County? Absolutely. Um, so uh, years ago, back in the early 2000s, I had worked for the city of Riverside um, as their public works director. And then uh, subsequent to that, uh, served as a city manager in Banning and also in Hemet, California. So um, having that connection with uh, the Western Riverside Council of Governments has been uh, fairly long in terms of tenure. Um, <laughs> but uh, the things that uh, uh, Western Riverside Council of Governments, WRCOG as we know it, uh, does tremendous things. And, and I'm you know, grateful to be here. And thank you very much for inviting me. Awesome. Well, th- we're so glad to have you on the podcast. So um, after your experiences here in Western Riverside County, what are you up to nowadays? Boy, um, so I, after 20 years of city management, decided to pursue uh, this other passion I had, if you want to call it that, which is academia. So I now serve as the assistant professor at the Bush School in um, Texas A&M at College Station. So jumping in more into the discussion of our podcast, so obviously, the here and now COVID-19 has had dramatic impacts, um, particularly as it relates to public health norms like the stay-at-home mandate, the six-feet distancing rules, just to name a few. So from a planning perspective, from a planning perspective, how do you think this will impact future developments um, within cities? Well, I think, you know, we're going to have to really think about how we create our spaces now mm-hmm. and not just how we live, but how we work and how we Um, educate, how we play, uh, those types of issues, how we even go visit from a tourism perspective. Um, You know, passing in hallways now has brought more attention (laughs) to situations, passing each other on the sidewalks, uh, pedestrian ways, bike ways. Uh, We've talked about densification and how, you know, we need to create more urban density. Mm-hmm. And now we're rethinking, okay, maybe urban density needs to change a little bit because being close to one another might have to change structurally as well as physically, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, those are all questions I think we have to ask ourselves. And I think we're going to realize that we have to make some changes in how we plan, uh, not just in a zoning perspective perspective, but in the overall capacity of the land use uh, requirements in terms of creating uh, a safe place to work, a safe place to live, a safe place to recreate, um, a safe place to educate. So Mm -hmm. those factors are all going to take effect. Yeah, definitely. So 
on a more like practical note, so you said how there has been a huge push to urbanize and um, urban density. And so how do you think that buildings, will buildings look different or do you think it'll just be different protocols for um, how to move forward in like a post-COVID-19 world per se? You know, Rachel, that's important. I think different protocols as well as different structures have to occur. You know, when we look at buildings, for example, if you step outside and you see a kind of a linear kind of structure, right? It, uh, vertical and horizontal. Mm-hmm. You have balconies above balconies. You have uh, windows above windows. Well, I mean, those have now becomes kind of issues with respect to distancing, right? Physical distancing. We call it social distancing, but it's really physical distancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to get rid of that social place and, and space environment because we, we're humans. We, we like to interact with individuals, but we need to think about those static and dynamic place values that we have mm-hmm. in terms of, okay, maybe we need to stagger balconies. Maybe we need to uh, readjust the way we have circulation happening in terms of airflow, mm-hmm. uh, How do we pass each other in the hallway in an apartment complex, per se, if that's what you choose to live in, or even in uh, uh, multi-family units? Um, How do we create those spaces that are safe and that we know can uh, prevent us from transmitting like COVID-19 in this particular case, but in general, Mm -hmm. uh, with respect to pandemics? Yeah, definitely. So... Obviously, um, as we've both experienced and probably as we all have experienced, COVID-19 is kind of just taking over the news, every topic, I feel like, even the pod- this podcast. <laughs> yes. And so what do you think is one issue that we should be talking about that we maybe aren't talking about? You know, one of the things I think that's going to be very important, and we've seen this in terms of um, how we uh, uh, have raw materials and foodstuffs and products. So we're talking probably about um, kind of more of our uh, food scarcity issues and Mm -hmm. our um, uh, supply chain issues, really. Because if you think about, okay, we need to go to the grocery store. Well, we have the ability to get there, even though we're dealing with a pandemic. We can use certain protocols and procedures to be safe. But the reality is, what happens if we don't have that ability Mm -hmm. to follow through with that supply chain. We saw that with uh, certain materials like tissue paper or any kind of food products, raw materials or finished product that went, wow, you know, we we are dependent upon goods movement. Hmm. And so the less we have to rely upon that and the more we can rely upon ourselves, uh, community gardens are a perfect example of that, uh, where we can create spaces that utilize the land we have. It's about optimizing our land use, not necessarily maximizing our land use, Rachel. And what I mean by that is optimization would be how do we effectively utilize our land in order to be um, Mm self-sufficient? And what I mean by maximizing land use, I think we always think about the economic aspects of that. How do we build something that creates the highest value in terms of tax dollars or sales tax dollars. And I think we really need to kind of back away from that a little bit and think about, okay, how do we create an environment that improves quality of life? Mm. And that may not necessarily mean maximization of land use, rather optimization of that land use. Mm Mm-hmm. Hopefully that makes a little sense. Totally. That, that definitely makes sense. And I think that that perspective, optimization versus maximization, is going to be 
maybe even a challenge going into the next season of what does it look like to plan for a city because there are real economic shortfalls that cities are experiencing immediately and probably in the long term as well. And so that's a great um, actually transition into the next question that I have for you, which is given your long history and experience as a city manager, how do you think cities should approach the short term and long term revenue shortfalls that they um, that they have kind of in the pipeline? Great question, Rachel. Um, (laughs) Not easily answered, of course. And there's so many different perspectives on how we should resolve these issues. I think in the short term, um, it's fairly simple, right? We have a certain amount of revenue and a certain amount of expenditures we have. And so we have to match our revenues with our expenditures and say, if in this case particular, I've been reading a lot of cities are facing some fiscal difficulties for sure. Uh, Businesses have been shut down. We've cut down a lot of the sales tax revenue. The transient occupancy tax revenues for many of the tourism cities have have Mm -hmm. been dwindled, you know, have dwindled dramatically. Um, So we're definitely going to see a reduction in services. But we can address those. um, And they're not going to be easy. I'm not trying to convey that at all. As a former city manager, I know what it's like to have to impact people adversely, whether it's the citizens who expect those services or the employees of government who rely upon money to feed their families and to uh, pay rent or pay a mortgage, uh, provide transportation. So this is not gonna be easy. But for the short term, I think we need to just realize that we're gonna have a reduction in revenues, which means there's gonna be a reduction in services and programs provided by government. And citizens are just going to have to understand that we may not be able to do everything we can. Mm -hmm. Um, I always used to remind council members when I worked with them um, that, you know, we can have anything we want. We just can't have everything we want. Mm -hmm. And so we think about it that way from a short-term perspective, we'll be able to adapt. We'll be able to pick those services that we think are most important um, collectively and collaboratively through the citizenry. whether it's public safety, parks and recreation, libraries, those things will be filtered out. But for the long term, we're going to have to figure out a different way of addressing our revenue and expenditure situations. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we've created these urban, urban areas uh, that are economic hubs, and now they become social and environmental hubs as well. And I've always believed that certain cities or cities in general have unique opportunities all within themselves. And so one city may not be the greatest tourism destination. We're all never gonna be a perfect place for Disneyland or Universal Studios or the filmmaking industry or the beaches, right? There's only Mm -hmm. a certain amount of cities that are on beaches. And yet we found that they're not immune in this situation specifically with the pandemic of revenue shortfalls Mm -hmm. i used to think all the time wow you know it'd be great to be a beach city manager you've always got tourism you always have uh you know sales tax revenue generation or property tax and and uh, transient occupancy tax or motel taxes and now you're finding wow they're facing the same dire situation financially as other cities are Mm -hmm. and so you may have an airport that you can take advantage of and be a hub there You may have um, distribution or um, uh, logistics facilities like uh, cities nearby Riverside or Moreno Valley. Um, But you need to capitalize on what you have and not what you hope to gain uh, necessarily. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you shouldn't aspire as a city to 
build a better quality of life by creating more jobs or creating more recreational opportunities or quality space, but rather focus on what you have. Um, we all have talent within our cities. Um, technology is pretty prevalent, although we're finding that there are certain areas where technology hasn't been best served or haven't served individuals, and we need to improve upon that as a society. And we all have environments that environmental issues or environments that limit or um, don't necessarily provide us that capacity uh, to be what we aspire to be, whether it you know, you say, gee, I wish we were more like this city or wish we were more like that city. <laughs> no, we are who we are and we have to live with that and we have to live within those means. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's hopefully a way of looking at how we adapt and then address the budget issue in the future is to say, okay, we know where we're at, we know our baseline, we can move forward accordingly. Yeah, it's, it's a lens from which you can look through and see the circumstances and how to move forward. Um, so are there other things beyond finances that city managers should be paying attention to as a result of the current situation? Yeah, I think what we really need to do is focus on, um, it, within our cities, um, is focus on that diversification. Hmm. And, and what I mean is uh, not just organizationally, but structurally. Um, we have a lot to learn intergenerationally. Hmm. Um, I always like to say, you know, we've learned from our past, but we can grow into our future as well. And, you know, Rachel, I'm thinking about you um, <laughs> as an individual who has probably experienced more than I have in a lifetime in terms of that stability. What, what, what comes next? We don't know. Um, you know, we have, I was talking to a group of graduate students who um, basically, I thought it was going to be a lot of caring and sharing. And yet I found enthusiasm hmm. in saying, hey, we've met adversity. Now we can adjust and we can adapt and we can grow beyond it. So we need that inspiration. And so organizations need to be willing to adapt and willing to open up and not be focused so much on what we had in the past, but what we need to create for the future. Mm -hmm. And so I think city managers need to understand we don't think the same, and that's a good thing. Okay? <laughs> um, it's good to draw upon history so we don't repeat it, but at the same time, we need to be a little bit more risk-taking in saying, okay, we, we need to really not risk it all, but take some risks and learn from the future. Um, one of the things I, I reflected upon when I got into academia is um, I learned more by working and volunteering in the bookstore and talking to students <laughs> than I do in the classroom. And, it, and, it, and it's about being a city manager. I learned more by visiting the communities and being out in the community than I did sitting in the office and trying to understand uh, from the desk on how our community operated. And I think that that's uh, um, important. And I think working with the policymakers, um, that's going to be very important. You know, we, as I said to you earlier, you know, we can have anything we want, we just can't have everything we want. But what we really need to do is work with our policymakers, our elected officials, to kind of provide them with the knowledge base and the understanding of the issues that are before us, the issues that could be facing us, and how we can work collaboratively together as a region and as a city in order to be better, hmm. to 
improve quality of life. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's one of the things I've also recognized is we're better doing that regionally than we are as individual cities. I think mm-hmm. um, if you look back at our economic situation, um, we've always tended to fight these boundaries of city limits and say, well, you know, we want this in our city because uh, we recognize the financial benefits or the fiscal opportunities. But the reality is sometimes we just have to acquiesce and say, maybe it's not the best opportunity for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, and I do think, obviously, I'm biased because I work at a regional entity. <laughs> but I do think that the regional perspective builds upon the strengths and really the the characteristics of each individual city that they already have, to your point of view, what you were saying earlier, of knowing who you are. So kind of switching gears a little bit, do you do you see COVID-19 changing the way in which cities operate on more of a fundamental level? Yeah, um, I, I do. Yes, I do. And, um, you know, we think of cities, uh, as I shared earlier, as economic, social and environmental hubs mm-hmm. um, in many different ways. Right. We we tend to think of them as opportunities for growth um, economically, socially, um, environmentally. And I think we have these norms. Um, We mentioned that earlier in our conversation. And norms are no longer norms. (laughs) And I think um, cities need to think about that when they think about land use decisions or when they think about how we're going to build infrastructure and how we're going to lay this infrastructure out. One of the concerns I have now is because of this COVID-19 and pandemic issue is we will scare people away from our city centers, from Mm -hmm. our urban centers. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are going to be concerned about that. Um, But we're also going to be responsible for providing those core services um, that people expect. You know, you you still aren't going to be able to say, well, we don't need police and fire services or park and recreation services or uh, a community center where people come together. I think you're going to have to really think about how uh, we move forward fundamentally as a city and uh, listen to the individuals um, who are actively engaged. Uh, One of the uh, important elements that I think we didn't realize the uh, how advantageous of having these groups in the city were are our nonprofits. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting. I was observing, um, and this is a little bit of the financial aspect of it. I was observing the amount of um, investment made to our nonprofits, which is phenomenal. I mean, people have stepped up, corporations have stepped up, individuals, uh, philanthropists have stepped up. And then I started questioning, well, wait a minute. Why is it that every time we think about adding a sales tax measure or increasing property tax rates, we get a huge flurry of, wow, why are we doing this? You know, we're trying to serve our citizens better, right? Because we think that revenues uh, definitely will offset those expenditures and we'll be able to continue to provide better services. When in fact, now we're seeing that uh, people have no problem you know, giving to nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we need to think of our nonprofit arm as the third kind of armed government and, mm-hmm. or providing services, right? That uh, uh, there's um, a certain trust um, that we can learn from um, as government officials, why nonprofits thrive uh, and survive during these times. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, that's a component that we need to think about. So I may deviate a little bit, but it goes back to the whole issue of we need resources. Clearly, we need money to provide services and programs. But more importantly, I think we need to rely upon our human capital and our land resources, um, agricultural, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. in order to mm-hmm. kind of make us better understand how we can optimize our environment. Mm-hmm. And I think that the example that you just shared, even with nonprofits, they really have stepped up to the plate in this time. That really isn't a practical way that I think um, cities could optimize in the future, recognizing their already pre-existing trust within a community, um, like, like to your point of what you were saying. And I think it's kind of uh, very similar to WRCOG and its roles and responsibilities. You know, if you look back, you know, it's a volunteer organization of a collective uh, set of agencies, right, that come together because there's common goals, there's common good, and there's value. Mm -hmm. And I think we recognize that. Um, You know, we revert back, of course, to it's about our city or about our community, but the reality is we do need have that ability uh, to change. Um, one of the things that I think um, is most opportunistic right now is change. Mm-hmm. Um, we may not like it, you know, <laughs> Rachel, I, I will admit to you, this uh, shelter in place thing is driving me crazy. <laughs> Probably more importantly, it's driving my wife crazy, but it's okay. Um, uh, she she tolerates it, and I think that's the other element, right? If you think about Richard Florida, the talent, the technology, and tolerance, uh, we all have that tolerance level to accept change. Uh, the hard part for us will be accepting that change over a long period of time. And it goes back to what we talked about short term versus long term. And in the short term, we've been able to adapt pretty good, but we're starting to get a little antsy. We're starting to get a little edgy and we want to go back to the way it was when in fact, we're not going to be able to go back to the way it was Mm -hmm. and we're going to have to grow. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to understand is that, um, you know, taking some of those risks um, have created some uneasiness mm-hmm. but we've also advanced and we just need to now reflect back and value what we've learned so that we can grow in the future mm-hmm, definitely i think that um right now a really common term that's being used maybe just in my own um, circles but um people will say things like i can't wait to return to that the the old normal or like a new normal or whatever that means and it might not be necessarily normal at all it might just be what simply is coming in the future <laughs> what progress may, might look like or what it means to grow is what you're saying as well yeah i think you know you're you're absolutely right um i i think you know that new normal um so i i kind of made this analogy and and um rachel and i said you know one of the things um people want is certainty okay mm-hmm. whether it's uncertainty really has has issues and then so i kind of said you know um it's like the coronavirus nobody appreciates false positives or false negatives mm-hmm. and so you know if we align that with government action or inactions for example you know with this whole issue of false positives or false negatives um we tend to get a little kind of um oh, scared or, or revert back to that nostalgic perspective you shared about, well, I can't wait till we get back to, well, we're not going to get back to that. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be, hey, what certainty can we provide as local government, as a regional government in assuring people that we are cognizant of what needs to change? Mm-hmm. And we need to work with our community to invoke that change. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I was thinking about, boy, you know, what industries, and I feel for the small businesses because they're the ones that are hurting the worst. And that's what the PPP was designed to help, you know, and that's what we need to take care of. But we didn't realize how big of an investment our small businesses were into our communities. Mm -hmm. Okay. We also didn't appreciate that big businesses would step up and hopefully make changes, right? And and adapt and create this environment where the workforce felt safe. And we see a huge um, uprising of hirings on the interim basis by these larger corporations. So there's value in both the small, medium, and large size organizations. But I think it's important to create that special notification that you know local businesses matter. Mm-hmm. And we've said that before. Uh, we've touted it as, you know, the, the changeover of a dollar and turns into $7 because it wrote, changes hands seven times. Um, but I don't think we really embraced it as mm-hmm. much as we should. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely an opportunity to do so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of closing out our time a little bit. So generally speaking, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Oh, I'm optimistic. <laughs> That's good. And I, I say that without a doubt because I, I think um, maybe a little altruistic, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but um, no, I, you know, Rachel, um, th- there is just such a tremendous wealth of knowledge. You being one of those individuals who will be, we will be relying upon to lead us in that future. And I don't say that flippantly. I mean that seriously. I have had the opportunity to engage with our millennials and our Gen Zers. Um, and it's phenomenal the way people think. And I think as soon as we understand that it's okay, that we should, and I say this to my students all the time, you know, um, it's okay to have opinions, but don't be opinionated. And, you know, don't be judgmental, but use good judgment. And so I see that really that dynamic shifting a lot in terms of being able to um, build our uh, knowledge base with individuals uh, such as yourself and also rely upon our historical underpinnings to grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to collaborate. I always say it's about the C's, you know, in academia, we always talk about getting A's. That's excellence. And then when we think about it from a perspective of uh, communities, you think about the C's, you know, the collaboration, the cooperation, communication, uh, those types of endeavors are very important. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think that's what's going to have to happen from a fiscal standpoint with cities. We're just going to have to be honest with our communities and say, this is where we are. This is where we need to get to. And we need to work collaboratively together Mm -hmm. to create a better quality of life. Yeah, definitely. Well, we are so thankful for your time that you've taken to be on our podcast and also just your investment in the region and um, now at Texas A&M and so many students' lives and in my own life. It's really encouraging to be able to um, talk to someone who has um, such wealth of experience, but also sees such value in holding and holding past experiences and lessons, but then also looking forward to what's coming. And so I'm really excited about this podcast. Do you have any um, final remarks before we sign off for the day? No, other than thank you, Rachel, and uh, keep doing what you're doing because this is what makes our society much better. Awesome. And thank you very much. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. 
For more information on WRCOG and the COGCAST, please visit our website at www.wrcog.us. For more information about Riverside County's efforts on COVID-19, please visit rivcoph.org coronavirus.